What is cultural humility? Choosing curiosity, humility, and love toward others, our culture, and our world instead of dogmatism, arrogance, and outrage. Not listening is perhaps the first exhale of lovelessness. Since listening is so crucial in our relationship with God, how well we do it with others will impact how well we do it with God. The first Christians put their energy not at yelling at the culture, but rather by creating a counterculture. As Christians, our goal is not to be at the top of the cultural pecking order. It's to serve our culture with humility and love. So I wanted to show that little recap, which uh, you've perhaps seen before, uh, because of a lot of today's points are extra material from uh, that series on cultural humility. And so these are little nuggets uh, that come out of that series as well as other ones. And in case you missed last week, uh, we're in a little two-part <clears throat> New Year's Nuggets series. And so you can listen to uh, part one last week where we uh, kind of gave the rationale and the story behind uh, these annual messages that we do together. But this is a, a six-piece uh, nugget meal uh, divided into two Sundays, three last week and three this week. And we sorted uh, the extra nuggets of material from the year into three categories last week, which was uh, inward, things that are kind of toward or about us, outward, about others, and upward, about God. And we talked about in those three categories uh, how communing breeds compassion, the, the feeding of the 5,000 uh, outward, how our generosity leads to more yes. And then upward, we talked about uh, wasteful worship, uh, extra material from our Christmas Eve service. And uh, although I've never sorted uh, my yearly nuggets this way, it makes sense because really every message should contain these three elements because these are uh, considered the three purposes or pillars of the church, if you will, and that is worship, upward to God, edification, uh, inward, building up the church, and mission, outward, sending out the people into service into the world. And so, in other words, really every message should tell us about God and teach us about Him and cause us to worship God. It should build up the people of God and strengthen the church, and then it should lead to mission. It should send us out to serve in the power of the Spirit. And so we'll use the same categories and outline this week, but we'll go uh, in a different and really the more traditional order that you see on the screen of upward, inward, outward. So let's start with nugget number one, but it's really nugget number four, uh, carryover from last week. And that's asking the question, is God culturally humble? So in our cultural humility series, uh, in her message on reconciliation, uh, Pastor Ellie made the great point that we look to God first, who is a reconciler, for our example of how then to live a reconciled life. And she clearly communicated then the call to act 
reconciled, which I love. That was a, a takeaway for me. And so, you know, whereas Ellie has this great gift of making complex things simple and confusing things clear, uh, I'm actually blessed with the opposite gift that God has given me, and that's to make simple things very complex and clear things confusing. Uh, but Ellie's point that we always look to God, it made me ask the question in that series that we never uh, got around to answering, just didn't have time, uh, well then is God culturally humble? If we're called to cultural humility, as we argued, then it should actually reflect how God acts and who, and who God is. And I think the answer is yes. And there's lots of examples, uh, but one of the first one that comes to mind is from Luke chapter 20, verses 22 to 25, where the people ask, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And if you know the story, Jesus says, well, show me a coin. And then he says, whose image and inscription are on it? And Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Notice Jesus doesn't say, rebel, right? Overthrow that corrupt government, protest, picket, don't pay taxes to that liberal agenda. No, he says, you know what? Give to the world what belongs to the world. What's more important is that you are attending to living in accordance with the kingdom of God. And what does that look like, to live in accordance with the kingdom of God? Well, uh, we sang about it last Sunday in, in the song, Simple Kingdom, that we often sing. But we serve a God who loves his enemies, who forgives those who condemn him to death, who washes the feet of those who would soon betray him. Jesus didn't attempt to overthrow the culture. He didn't fight it with weapons of words, certainly not weapons of war, as much as he fought it with subversive acts of humility and service. And in fact, the sobering truth is Jesus mainly only uses harsh words to the religious who think they are actually more righteous than the culture. And in our world of, you know, incredible angst and divisive rhetoric and social media rants and the poison out there, we, we need to regularly come back to the Jesus that we claim to worship and to love, who said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in the same breath, probably say, Lord, forgive us too, for neither do we. So is God culturally humble? I think it's a resounding yes. Jesus says, don't waste all your effort worrying about Caesar's kingdom culture. If anything, just forgive them because they don't really know what they're doing. But the way to challenge the culture of Caesar is to create a counterculture, an alternative and this is how and why uh, the early church grew so much. And I think we should take the same approach, and that is to create something more beautiful than what the world offers by focusing our attention on God's kingdom rather than the kingdom of Caesar. Because when you, you know, start mixing your political ideology, Caesar's kingdom, with your biblical theology, God's kingdom, 
it pretty much leads to idolatry almost every time, and history would show us that, and contemporary life proves this to be true. Instead of our using our energy toward critiquing and condemning our culture, let's use it to serve our, our culture and invite and create people into a counterculture that's different. And one way we can invite people into something uh, that's life-giving and more beautiful is to be uh, congregationally humble. And so nugget number two, uh, dealing with edification or our inward life, is to be is congregational uh, humility. So this does not say congregationally soft or theologically weak and mushy. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It simply says humble. Humility is a key part of, of here, who we are here at, at Oceanside, who we try to be. Uh, the way we hopefully treat each other in our world, it's reflected and talked about uh, in our core values as a church. And you can pick up the brochure in the, in the lobby, but particularly the value of mutual hospitality. And we'll actually be preaching on a couple of our core values uh, in a few weeks. And it's one of just the non-negotiables that we look for in, in leadership and in the, in the hiring of staff. And I mean, we have such a, a great team. Right? We had such a beautiful night of worship and prayer on Wednesday led by Marcello and, and Paul. And, you know, I was pretty much just an observer soaking, soaking it in and worshiping uh, with you. And, and how awesome that, you know, Paul wants to continue on but, but simply just uses gifts to serve the church uh, in, in a volunteer role. And we just have such a great team. Well, let me just give uh, three examples from extra material from some of our messages and series last year on how we can congregationally reflect God's humility by embodying uh, these three things, theological humility, socioeconomic humility, and spiritual humility. So uh, I'm going to cut this nugget up into three pieces, uh, if you will. These are kind of like the popcorn nuggets um, that you can buy too, right? Popcorn. Uh, my kids like those. So theological humility. Remember in our Advent series, we talked about uh, the words that day from 2 Peter chapter 3, referring to the second coming of Jesus. And uh, Christians have a lot of opinions, of course, on, on what will lead up to that day and what it will look like. Uh, but, you know, in, in my humble opinion, or IMHO, as people like to say uh, these days, Christians spend too much time on some of these secondary issues like end time charts and timetables and signs, what this or that prophecy means, what nations will play a role, etc., and miss the primary message sometimes that Jesus is coming, let's get ready. Meaning we'd be better off spending that theological energy on getting busy living for Jesus, taking care of his world and his people and trying to quench our curiosity on things that, honestly, if God really wanted us to know them and lay them out, he would have just made it a lot more clearer. So when we're talking about that day, I just don't want us to be more influenced by fictional, keyword fictional, uh, you know, left behind novels or, or movies or weird YouTube videos or whatever it might be, than we are the Bible and what God actually says. And the problem with a lot of our uh, eschatology, which just means beliefs about the ends, is normally there's a profound disconnect between our beliefs about the future and our present living 
and how they connect. In other words, kind of the so what question, right? I mean, you believe in this or that millennialism or this or that person or nation is the fulfillment of this or that prophecy and kind of, okay, well, so what? How does it impact the way we're living and loving others? When the New Testament, this is why I say, let's do what the Bible does. When the New Testament talks about being ready for the return of the Lord, do a study, but it doesn't talk about having your theology perfect. It doesn't talk about what role, if anything, you think Israel might play in the last days. No, it's always a warning about how we're living our lives. Whether we're building our own kingdom, in the words of Jesus, building bigger barns for our personal enjoyment, or we're building God's kingdom and storing our treasures not in earthly barns, but in heaven. You can read Luke 12 for Jesus' teaching on that. And, you know, look, but I'm, I'm a theologian, or at least I pretend to be on the weekends sometimes. And I've spent my life studying and sometimes debating these biblical topics, but, but I'm just not a fan of the unfruitful speculation. There's fruitful speculation and there's unfruitful, uh, because I often see it then lead to unfruitful behavior in people's lives. And we'd be better off and be a better witness for Jesus working hard at something like this next point, socioeconomic humility. And what I love as I'm preparing this message is I feel like as a church, honestly, we do these things so well, um, but they're just kind of being re-emphasized here. But this is a bit of a continuation of last week's point on generosity leading to more yes, uh, which was just really a point about sharing our resources with each other in our community. And, you know, the undeniable biblical vision when it comes to socioeconomics within the church is equality. And if you read the prophets, you read Jesus, you read uh, the early church in Acts, you read the New Testament letters of Paul, you'll come to the conclusion that God's ideal vision is that no one should have too much, there should be no excess, but also that nobody should have too little. Nobody should be lacking or be in want. In fact, the Old and New Testament almost use that exact language of not too much, not too little. It's why uh, Victor Naka, in an article I was reading, is so right on point when he says that when we have too many material things or when we're overwhelmed by material needs, so either end of the spectrum, when we have too much or we have too little, he says in both cases, you begin to behave like you're not a part of God's family. They're both antithetical to God's kingdom. They both cause us to turn inward on ourselves and not be who God has called us and wants us to be. So we as Christians, through our own resources, should fight together toward closing any economic gaps that exist. First in the church, right, that's our counterculture that we're creating and inviting people into, where we take care of one another. And then society as well, the gap that exists between the haves and the have-nots. And I gave some examples last week of, of how we're doing that as a, as a church, and we celebrated some of that. And, you know, look, we'll never get there this side of heaven. I understand that. Due to systemic sin and injustice that creates, you know, wealth gaps. But we should be humbly bent on trying. 
And our CARE Fund is one of the ways we try to close economic gaps within the church and help each other by sharing our resources. And I encourage you to, to regularly give to the CARE Fund above your regular giving. But the solution isn't just giving money. Of course, if anything, that's, that's actually a little easier to do. It's more doing the hard work of treating the problems that create the inequality in the first place, right? So the proverbial, you know, give a person a fish, they'll eat for a day. Teach a person to fish, they'll eat forever. And so it's why two of our main outreaches as a church have to do with, with food insecurity. Because being food insecure and not having access to healthy food, it leads to so many other problems that continue the cycle of poverty. So if we can help kids have a healthy breakfast every morning and therefore learn better and have better mental health, then we're, in, we're short-term meeting a need while also giving opportunity for their long-term betterment. And as we mentioned last week, you know, we, we want to respond in compassion because there's nothing worse than, than arrogance in the Christian spiritual life, and, and non-Christians will sniff it out in a second, right? They want something humble and authentic. And so the third type of humility is for us to have spiritual humility. The reason we can or should continue to serve our community lovingly and in humility is because we realize our own sin, right? our own planks in our eyes as we preached about in that series, our own need for the good news. And we humbly understand that the sins of our world and of others are really our own sin are part of the broken and sinful world that we've helped create, that we're responsible for. And it's easy to point out the very obvious sins of others or our culture without humbly examining right, our, our own sins or our less visible sins. And corruption and sin are just so much a part of what we participate in. I mean, people in Central or South America likely possibly died today because I wanted cheap avocados. Right? Somebody in the Amazon rainforest might have lost their house because we prefer three-ply toilet paper over two-ply. We're not so much... Sorry, back up. But sin is everywhere we look. Right? We can't avoid it. None of us are above reproach. Almost nothing in life is free from participating in systemic sin. But that doesn't need to paralyze us. Right? That's why we promoted that book recently, Impossible Christianity, out there, and why you, know, you don't have to take that message of just, we can't save the world. Right? God is just asking us to do sometimes the simple things or one things. So it doesn't need to paralyze us, but it should humble us and cause us to approach our world, not in arrogance, but in humble service and love, knowing that we've made a big mess of God's good worlds. And I deserve eternal death and separation from God because of it. Right? I deserve to live in that messed up world forever. That should be my punishment, basically hell, a world without God. But instead, through God's free gift of grace to us, we know we'll be a part of the new world with Him forever, the new heavens and the new earth where God rules and reigns, and that is good news. 
to be embraced. And that is good news to share with others. So upwardly worshiping our humble God causes us to inwardly practice humility. And all of that should lead us to humbly reach out to our community. And so the the last nugget in your bag or in your box here is uh, nugget number three or six outward. That yes, we should be humble, but also we should be bold in our evangelism. I'll keep this short because we'll address it a little in our Vision Sunday next week. But, you know, we're not creating a culture here just for ourselves to enjoy. We're doing it to invite others into it and say, hey, come and experience something different. Come and experience this good God who loves us, forgives our sins, who is moving us toward a new way of doing things and experiencing the world and and an eventual world where God will rule and reign and be all in all. Come be a part of it with me. An invitation. We're not so much inviting people to church as we are inviting people into God's story and into His love and His grace and forgiveness as experienced in and through the church. And I've heard so many times from people that, you know, this is one of the first churches where they're excited to invite and bring their friends and where they feel confident that their friends and family will experience the loving God they know and the beautiful God they know. And praise God for that. Amen? So let's be humble but still bold in reaching out and inviting people into this God's story.